This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Say my name, like no one is around you. Simply, Craig? We're talking about saying my names on this week of Overdue. It's a podcast with books you mean to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Because we're talking about our good friend Rumpelstiltskin. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of. Not really. He's my favorite guy whose name you have to say, or else he takes your kids. <laughs> sure mine too i don't i guess i hadn't thought about it that much so you're kind of putting me on the spot about guys whose names you guys have to whose say names you have to say or he'll take your kids that's probably on that mm-hmm. like twitter account of wikipedia entries that have since been deleted like someone started <laughs> a list and they only got rumpelstiltskin and then they axed it because citations needed um andrew what book did you read this week I read Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. Okay. What is that? When did it come it out? It's a book. It came out this year. Whoa. This calendar year. Neato. In 2018. Okay. That's pretty cool. Um, this and, is not uh, her first rodeo, though. No, it's not her first rodeo. So she also wrote a, a standalone novel in 2015 called Uprooted that is similarly sort of fairy tale-ish, as I understand. And then she's written this... Um, fantasy series called Timur- Temeraire. Yes, sure. Is that, that how you would pronounce that? Um, that's been running since 2006, and the most recent uh, book came out in 2016. I think she's completed... There's one part of her website that appears out of date because it only references seven of the Temeraire books, and there are definitely nine, and I think she said there were going to be nine of them. Um, mm-hmm. It's my understanding that that is a series that is like, what if the Napoleonic Wars, but dragons? Okay. <laughs> and and when I read that in an article about her, I seem to recall people emailing that exact phrase to us about that series. So I'm glad we're tackling Naomi Novik, and maybe we'll yeah. have to come back to that series in the future. I'm just trying. I'm trying to think how having dragons would change the wisdom of getting into <laughs> land wars in Russia. I'm not sure how different it would Maybe be. Maybe it would go better for Napoleon. It depends on if the Russians have dragons also. Or if all of I their Russians... Everyone has dragons. All of their yeah. dragons just like are like really resistant to cold, and all the French dragons aren't, and they still lose. And they love baguettes. Yeah. No, we, we. That's the sound of them breathing fire. Toasting a baguette. Yeah, it's delicious. Um, <laughs> Naomi Novik was born in 1973. <laughs> This is a great podcast. I'm here for it. It's going um, really good. Uh, born and raised in New York, uh, Long Island, um, and she studied at Brown and Columbia. She left Columbia, Andrew, to work on a Neverwinter Nights video game, um, an expansion of their like early 2000s game. I think it was a Bioware game, um, but then left that to pursue like novels, like writing novels and short mm-hmm. stories, which I think, I don't know... 
if she was mostly doing writing or, or actual design. But um, I guess, you know, some people don't want to work in the game space. I can't imagine There's why. A, her about the author in the in the back of this book says, uh, Naomi Novik is the acclaimed author of the Temeraire series and, and the Nebula-winning novel Uprooted, a fantasy influenced by the Polish fairy tales of her childhood. She is the founder of the Organization for Transformative Works and the Archive of Our Own. She lives in New York City with her family and six computers. <laughs> That's good. Which I think is how my author bio would read. Yes. It would talk about the number of computers that I have. Yes. Um, so the Organization for Transformative Works. Oh, you're counting computers. I have four like, traditional computers. Okay. That doesn't count okay. tablets or phones or video game consoles or um, like hobbyist boards like the Raspberry Pi, which I have two All of, of which so are computers. Mm-hmm. They're all Is computers. there a computer in your doorbell? Um, no, it just connects to computers. Okay. <laughs> it's close, though. Um, so the Organization for Transformative Works, which I always... I love when we encounter, like, interesting nonprofits through the authors that we research. It is dedicated <laughs> to protecting, like, fair use for fan creators. So they don't just use hmm. the term fan fiction. Uh, they use fan work as, like, an umbrella term for oh. artwork and... and games or whatever you're making because um, she has talked about writing fan fiction herself uh, and they have this they have several projects which I think are pretty cool like the archive for our own which is mentioned in that bio which is like an open source hosting archive they have a wiki for recording and sharing traditions in fandom they have an archive of fanish artifacts like zines and geocities sites which Ooh. I think is a crucial part of like 90s internet fandom so i'm glad someone's out there doing the work uh, they have a not peer- just the the Wayback machine yes yes uh they have a peer-reviewed journal and they do a lot of legal advocacy so they've like successfully submitted exception requests to the library of congress for like dmca takedown kind of stuff because they mm-hmm. are arguing that all of this work is transformative and about fans interacting with the work which is pretty cool um I, I'm sure that we have listeners who are fan fiction writers out there, or oh, I'm consumers sure. of, of fan fiction. So check mm-hmm. that out if you don't know anything about it. Um, you mentioned her Nebula-winning novel, Uprooted, a couple times, Andrew. Uh, she has said in an interview with an interview with Paste um, that these two books, Uprooted and Spinning Silver, like deal directly with her parents' heritage. So Uprooted, she says, is very much about my mother's side of the family, who were Polish Catholics. They were deeply patriotic and deeply rooted in their country. My mother to this day feels that she is Polish, even though she's lived in America for 40 years and is now a citizen. She didn't go back to Poland for decades because of the communist regime. She was up. She was severed from her roots, and she felt that separation very keenly. Um, Spinning Silver is about my father's family, and they were Lithuanian Jews who had to escape persecution, not just from the Nazis, but from their own neighbors. Um mm-hmm. So yeah, these this is a shift from her writing this like eight or nine book series um, with a continuing narrative to these contained books. I think in the same interview she says, because I like endings and I want to be able to write books that have endings. <laughs> um, Fantasy is a strange genre to work in if you like yeah. having a series with endings. <laughs> that's, that's true. Um, there are no beginnings or endings to the turning of the wheel of time true. after all. And so Uprooted is really dealing with a lot of Polish fairy tales and folklore, including even like 
um, using the Polish birthday song as an inspiration for a spell that someone cast. What's the Polish birthday song? Oh, I don't, I couldn't tell you what okay. it is. It's called right. Stolot, which literally means 100 years. Um, 100 years, 100 years, may they live. 100 years, 100 years, may they live. Once again, once again, may they live, may they live. Which is a cool thing to say <laughs> on someone's birthday. I hope you live for 100 more years. It's kind of... It's not a hundred more years, it's a hundred total years, right? Yeah, sure, sure. That just, it feels limiting, you know? Make it to a hundred, make it to a hundred, happy birthday. Like, for most people, it would be an improvement, I guess, but for some people, it would be limiting. I feel like that song gets less uh, comfortable to sing as someone gets closer to a hundred years old. Mm Mm-hmm. Because then it's like, oh, God, are they going to make it? Just what it? do you do when they're like 102? You can't sing the Polish birthday song anymore. That's probably what you have fun. You 100 years, 100 years. They did live 100 years. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, she For this one, though, it's like, and this can kind of transition to talking about the book, I think, Andrew, but it's like inspired by Rumpelstiltskin. Is that like part of the setup for this so, I mean he's never he's never mentioned in the book by name like at all. So if you know about Rumpelstiltskin you're sort of bringing that into the book yourself. Like it's definitely okay. She definitely intends to reference it, but it's not like there's some guy in here named Rumpelstiltskin. Sure, 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 sure. Um but so she is like at least counting on us to be aware of that story, you think? I mean it's the the entire book is very like fairy tale-y anyway. Like I, I think Rumpelstiltskin is a component of the different kinds of things that are going on in here, but I think it's pulling from a lot of different threads, classic you might fairy say. tales, and just and sort of and um, weaving different things together to create a a story that feels like of those classic fairy tales. Sure, 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 sure. Um, I did a little research on Rumpelstiltskin in case it's useful. Why don't you just tell me what Rumpelstiltskin is? Well, Rumpelstiltskin is a fairy tale that's hundreds, if not thousands of years old and was collected in the Grimm Tales in the early 1800s, which is the versions that most of us know today. Uh, Andrew, did you know that its name is thought to have derived from a children's game called Rumpelstilt Oderpoppert, uh, (laughs) which was written down in the 16th century and mostly just involves kids taking turns being a goblin and making noise with pots and pans <laughs> sounds goblin-esque uh the like the reader's digest version of rumpelstiltskin as we know it is a miller lies to a king about his daughter's straw to gold ability the king is like i'll either lock her up or kill her depending on what he wants um if she can't do it rumpelstiltskin appears asks for like a necklace if she does like for the first time to do the work for her he comes back again when the king wants to marry her and he's like yeah let me give let me get that firstborn child um it happens of course that she has a kid and the imp tries to take it she has a few days to like guess his name and she overhears him in the woods like singing a song about how great he is for tricking her Uh wherein he says his own name (laughs) (laughs) and that's how she learns what his name is and then when she says it to him depending on what version you've read he either like the earth opens up and swallows him he stomps he's so mad he stomps a hole in the floor sinks into the floor and rips himself in two or he just like runs away and is never heard from (laughs) again um 
And it's there's a the thing I found. This is like a weird little side note to Rumpelstiltskin. I found references to a 1972 psychiatric paper where some guy came up with the Rumpelstiltskin principle, which is about how the power of giving something a name or knowing what to call it can make it either more knowable or treatable or bearable for patients. Um, and then like a later article was dealing with the criticism of this guy's original paper. And he's like, ironically, by giving this thing a name, it allows us to argue over whether or not we think it's true. <laughs> so he, <laughs> he did at least like succeed in that, in that way. Um, and mm-hmm. like a lot of fairy tales, they don't, it doesn't really have a clear moral. Like it's not like a Rumblestillskin in general doesn't have like, Oh, don't, tell imps to do your work for you or just like don't have a bad dad <laughs> yeah who like says you can do stuff that you can't do i think that's the thing for me with fairy tales that have like maybe there's a moral about like not promising more than you can do but also the premise where your dad sold you to the king for a thing you can't do is like an inherently flawed one that no like, we shouldn't take fairy any- tales just are bad <laughs> generally bad. they just usually are bad they're pretty bad um so let's get into this book now that everyone knows exactly what Rumpelstiltskin's about, um, and they'll never forget because I did such a good job. So <laughs> you did do a really good job. <laughs> why don't you tell me about? You just came in so strong with the Rumpelstiltskin thing, and that probably wouldn't have been the first thing that I talked about. But um, it's it is applicable insofar as one of our main characters, who is a Jewish girl named Miriam, can turn silver into gold. Both turn like, silver into gold. Yeah, both like figuratively, but then later literally. Oh, neat. Okay. Oh, like um, she can and, sell it. Like, well, so so. All right. Let, let's <laughs> let's start at the beginning. I guess. Um, Miria. They they live in this like sort of Russianish. Sure. Um, world where like there definitely is magic, but also definitely there's still like jewish people so it's somewhere it's stuck somewhere in between like real life and fantasy but um yeah okay mm-hmm. in this in this place the winters are very long and they are very hard and it seems like they've been getting worse lately which feels very like fantasy ish it's it's a little uh, c.s lewis-esque even sure, sure um and her family is very poor because her dad is a money lender who is very bad at collecting what he is owed. Like oh. he lent out a bunch of money, but then like sort of George Bailey esque. I was gonna he ask. Was, yep. Okay. He's so forgiving that people just never pay him, and so they barely have enough to get by. And like her mom is Miriam's mother is getting very sick in the middle of this winter, and they barely have anything to eat. And so Miriam says. You know, I'm going to go out. If my dad won't do it, I'm going to go out and collect the money hmm. because I go. I have to go to town with my dad and watch people walk all over him and then turn around and watch the people who said they couldn't pay their debts, like have stuff to eat and like have fun parties and like, you know, go about their lives. <laughs> oh, no. And it just sucks. Yeah. Okay. So she starts doing it, and she won't take no for an answer, and it quickly becomes clear that she is very good at this, and um, before too long, they're living relatively comfortably. Now, this comes at the expense of, like, their reputation in in the town. Okay, Which okay. is, this, I am not as qualified as I would like to be to speak to the, the, um, the Jewish parts of this book. Sure, sure. Um, 
they you definitely get some some stuff like this where where even though all the all that they are doing is going around and asking to be given back what they were what they had lent out in the first place plus the interest like everybody else in town sort of looks down at them and thinks that they're greedy and and whatever whatever even though they got themselves into this mess and then there's like there's a city that's nearby that you go into a few times where there is like a jewish quarter of the city and it talks about how even like the best and most reputable of of these people are still kind of seen as below like the ruling class or like less than um like to be able to buy your way into it or buy your way out of things despite being Jewish is is a thing that some people huh. can do. So that really speaks to sort of the less than aspect. Yeah, sure. She she said in that Pace interview that I referenced earlier <clears throat> that she was asked why she, you know, what was behind the inclusion of real, like, anti-Semitism, not just a, like, fantasy analog for it. And she says, I think that a lot of anti-Semitism is historically a deflection of resentment of capital, which is what you were just getting Mm -hmm. at. It's Mm -hmm. a deflection of that by the elite onto Jews who are a convenient population to target. This was something that happened in Western and Eastern Europe, where the Jewish community became a piggy bank for rulers. The rulers deflected hostility from people who felt themselves being exploited, but didn't understand the system of exploitation. Hmm... Uh, Mm, Weird. Historically, the Jews are constrained by laws and by the bounds of their community from doing anything outside of the small pieces of the economic fabric of society in which they're allowed to participate. In a way, the Jewish communities in this position where they apparently have this successful place, but their success makes them a target. Um, So, yeah, that's her kind of explaining what you've just laid out, which is the the historical uh, context under which folks like this found themselves in this situation. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, in a position where they're doing a thing nobody wants to, or like people. Well, because this this work was seen as sort of immoral in, yes. in some ways. Yes. Yeah. So and so, hey, let's give it to these people and then hate them because we because they're doing this thing yeah. that, that we don't want to do. Um, so that's it, not what the book is about, but it's always there. And so okay. I wanted to mention it up front. So even if we never go back to it, like explicitly, because I think you can talk about the rest of the fairy tale aspects without getting too far into that i wanted to make it clear that that was like part of the to book. include actual jewish people in in the book is doing something specific yeah. and that's what it's doing totally much. um so um we the the book starts just being kind of from the perspective of miriam and then it snowballs pun intended i guess <laughs> and <laughs> begins to include more people including um wanda who is a girl from a very very poor family nearby who like her dad borrowed money from Miriam's dad like a long time ago and drank it all away and has no means of income or support and can never pay it back and so uh, Miriam says you know your daughter can come work for us and pay the debt off a bit at a time okay and Wanda because her dad is you know an alcoholic abusive horrible guy who treats her and her two living brothers very poorly she is actually so excited to have a chance to go to a place where she can be safe and like get food that she doesn't like every time she's very, very good at at helping. And so every time something happens that will pay her debt off faster, she's like, Oh no, (laughs) I I wanted to be paying this off for four years because that just puts off, you know, my, my having to go back to this and to be at the mercy of my crappy dad. Okay. 
Um, so yeah, it's it's it, it includes her. It includes Irina, who is a um, a member of the nobility and who marries the czar, who has a has a condition, I guess, that we'll talk about in a little bit. <laughs> uh oh. Um, and then also running in the background of the first bits of the book, you've got this um, the the strains of of supernatural like fairy taley stuff so there is there are these people um called the steric that's how i'll pronounce it i don't know if that's 100 percent. how's it spelled just for my brain uh s-t-a-r-y-k sure yeah okay um i buy that and they are like these wintry bad guys are they like elf on a shelf or are they like trolls Elf on a shelf? No, they're not. I'm just like thinking elf of wintry bad they're guys. Basically, they're essentially big ice monsters. Great. Okay, that makes more sense. Um, and they, you know, you can't. They are sort of of the winter, and they like gold. And if you hunt the white animals in the woods, that those are the sterics, and they're gonna come and get you. So Ooh, don't do it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um. So what? What Miriam? does is she you know she has a grandfather in the city who does not who did not approve of his daughter's marriage to this guy who can't get the money that's owed him but um once miriam shows herself to be you know adept at this he is very proud of her and takes her under his wing a bit and he gives her a bag of silver and she by like collecting debt or she, you know, she spends it on some very nice dresses in the city and then she takes them back to the town and she sells them and she like turns the silver into gold Mm. in, in a, in a weird way. And she, she is good at, you know, spending her, you know, investing and then getting back more than she spent. Okay. And she is very slowly, you know, saving up to, to help make sure that her family never has to, to go through anything like it was going through again. And, she is she is overheard to boast that she can turn silver into gold. Huh. So at this point in the book, it seems like we have a pretty good emotional grounding for like why she's doing this kind of like, for lack of a better word, like house flipping. <laughs> like I'm yeah. gonna take some stuff and make some more money for it. With with the idea I mean, that it's she's not really house flipping, no. it's just like capitalism. Like, yeah, this is how capitalism works. But but it she it seems like it has an emotional grounding. Like she has a family that she's trying to help. It's it's coming from a place of like what we might objectively call moral goodness. That is that's definitely where it starts. Um, but she does. I don't think you ever get to a point where you don't like Miriam, but she definitely does. You know, because she has a very dim view of all the other people around her, she's. You know, she she has an oppor- she has opportunities to, you know, be nicer to people or to to do things for people for reasons other than like material gain or to give somebody a good price on something instead of charging them a higher price for it. And you know, the, and and it's rooted in the way her family was treated, and it's completely justifiable, I think, from from my perspective. But she is, you know, her heart is hardened toward those folks. Yeah. And so she is not. She's not inclined to to do nice things because she sees that as a sign of weakness that other people will then also spot. And then, hey, all of a sudden you can't collect on your debts anymore. And then you're back in your drafty house with your mom dying from some illness because you can't like you can't do enough for her. So so that gets us to a point where she is now becoming boasty and sets her up to to be to to have something happen to her because of it. (laughs) 
Yeah, so what ends up happening is the Steric are taking uh, an interest in, in Miriam. Like there, there's this thing called the Steric road that you could, it's like the shiny ice road that sometimes runs parallel to the real road. Um, you can't always see it. It like shifts and moves around, but it's like a, a place where this like magical Steric kingdom meets the real world. Okay. And so what happens one day is that the road, you know, has appeared like very near their house and it starts snowing really, really, really heavily. And this big old Steric guy comes up and he leaves in this like pure white bag, this, this, uh, this collection of silver coins like and and steric silver is is very alluring and and otherworldly and like people in the real world are enchanted by it okay because it's because it's rare and and because it's got some magical qualities it's rare and like magical but um so, so so what the guy wants is he's like hey turn this into gold or i'll like kill your family or whoa something. <laughs> okay and so she goes to a relative of hers in the city who's a who's a silversmith who's trying to save up to get married and, you know, buy a house and do the thing that you do. Um, he melts the silver down and makes it into a ring and then sells it to this uh, wealthy noble who is Irina's father. Like he, he that's the bridge that we that we use to, okay. to get to Irina is like once that ring is in his possession, then you'd see, then you meet his daughter. Like she, Novik builds the, the narrative out in interesting ways. Like you, you never hit a POV character without knowing like who they are already. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. So you, like you pick up from context, like the, like who they're around and what their like relationships are are to characters you've already met and that's how you how you figure out kind of who they are but yeah you get like it starts with miriam and then you go to wanda and then you get wanda's little brother Stepan, and then you know you've got arena and then the czar and then like arena's like nurse who's been with her for many many years like it's it's a and all these characters have their own like distinct voices some show up more than others like you, you get more miriam and arena and Wanda, I think, than you get of anybody else. The book is very like centered on, on its uh, women characters, which is intentional, I think. Yeah. Um, so she's getting the gold for this silver ring. Is the yeah? Idea. So she, you know, they they turn the they melt the silver coins into this ring and then sell it for gold. And so she, you know, she keeps two gold coins for herself, and her cousin keeps two. And then she gives for six silver coins, she gives back six gold coins, and then he brings her a bigger batch of silver and he's like, well do it again. And she does it again. Like she makes a necklace or that, you know, her cousin makes a necklace and sells it to this same guy. Cause what, it, what is happening is this, um, this noble, this Duke, like he knows that arena is not like classically beautiful, but he also knows that this jewelry is very alluring. So maybe the czar comes and visits his house. He's got this daughter with this enchanting jewelry on, and it'll make her so irresistible to him that she'll marry him. And then, oh, all of a sudden, my daughter is the Tsarina and everything's going Man, great for me. Fairy tale dads suck. Fairy tale dads. 
and they even they do get some like okay moments like you you do come around to liking Miriam's dad I bet you would yeah especially if he's a and George like, Bailey figure for sure and uh, later on like Arena's dad once she's you know become once she's proven herself to be adept at this political situation that she's been thrown into like her dad says that he's proud of her and she's like man I didn't even know that I wanted that but that's like the best thing that's ever happened to okay. me okay <laughs> um but that's kind of neat that she is like taken even elements of this like pretty slight fairy tale like key relationships and key actions and like split them across a couple different characters to give her a w- opportunities to flesh out a, a much bigger story like she's not mm-hmm. just like oh what if i retold this fairy tale and weighted it down with a bunch of stuff it's like let me take some elements and spread it across this town um which is kind of impressive mm-hmm. um so then what happens as i imagine this this like ice monster is showing up for additional protection money or whatever this like mafia relationship it's not even protection money it's just like he heard her say that she could do this and so do you at this point know what he's doing with the gold or just that he wants it when he you don't know what he's doing with the gold until like pretty far into the into the thing but when um when he comes the the third time like he's you know he's looking for a bride who can do this like silver into gold thing because he just he needs gold he needs a lot of gold uh, okay and so he's like hey do it do it a third time and then we can get like married and i'll leave your family alone and whatever that i believe that i guess <laughs> i'm not i'm 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 maybe paraphrasing and glossing over some stuff <laughs> but um but at this point he is making a marriage proposal well not even less, a proposal yeah. and and so she does it. She does it again because, again, the alternative is for bad things to happen to her family. And so that her cousin makes like this big old silver crown, and she she has turned it into gold again. She did it, and so she gets taken into the steric, like the wintry steric kingdom, and becomes his bride and in this kingdom like literally she can turn silver into gold like she's given a silver crown and like in her hands it it becomes gold it's sort of a midasy sort of thing but only for only for silver is she in control of it or is it Midasy yeah. in that she's not in control of it. She she's in control of it, and it it, it takes effort even. Okay, so she's not going to accidentally like thing. turn her favorite thing into gold. No. Okay. Um, huh. And 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 so the and the the Steric King is not like thrilled about this. He wants you know he wants her to turn the silver into gold, but he doesn't like having to marry a mortal woman, and he doesn't like how she has all these questions for him and everything. Excuse the Steric me, have a very, yeah, <laughs> The Steric have a, they don't like to owe things to people. Like they, they are very, they are transactional, but kind of everything, like you agree on a price and you, like you work out a deal like right then and there. It's like people who don't like having credit cards. Like they don't. Yeah. Like you, 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 it's, it's transactional, but like, I'm going to give you this and you give me this. And it's not a thing where I'm like obliged to you for the rest of forever just because we have this arrangement. Sterics don't lease phones like they buy them outright. No, they buy them unlocked and outright. And I well, I don't jailbreaking and buying an unlocked phone is a different thing, Craig. 
Well, I don't know how Sterics do. They seem pretty into you like, their own how, independence. You don't know how phones do. That's the thing I'm trying to correct. Okay. You don't seem to know how phones work. Well, no, I don't. I use them every day. And they're <laughs> just, they might as well be from the Steric world. They might as well be magic. I just hit the button and it goes. I will turn your silver iPhone into a gold <laughs> iPhone. I think gold iPhones look real bad, though. <laughs> so what is like... Is this, I did not know when you first started mentioning that this guy is like some sort of steric king, though. Is that super important? Like, he is the king of them. Yeah, it's important. Okay. Do you know that when he first starts showing up, or is he just like, I'm a mystery steric? I don't remember exactly when you find out that he was a king. Like, I, I read like two thirds of this book within the last like three days, and then I started it like two weeks ago. Okay. So okay. It's, a, it's one of those things where, where the earlier parts aren't necessarily as fresh in my mind as I would like them to be. That's so fair. I am sorry if I'm getting some of that wrong. No, that's okay. But the, the, Broad strokes are like, yeah, it's it's binding together, but like so much of this feels fairy tale. Like she comes to this agreement with him where every night he will answer three questions. Oh, neat. Okay. Of her. And he keeps trapping her into like asking little tiny like follow up questions. And he's like, well, that's two. <laughs> you did. You did a second one. Oh, man. <laughs> And is she just trying to learn more about their world? Does she have an end game? Like maybe she can divorce him and like go back to the human world with all of her knowledge or. Yeah, she she is trying to learn more about the world and also trying to escape a little bit. And then she meets. So, OK, let's talk a little bit more about the arena. Story yeah, line. please. What the, the deal with the czar is he's got a fire demon inside his belly. Whoa. <laughs> he's possessed by a fire demon. OK. And this this is something that like his mom was a sorcerer and she kind of before he was even born agreed that this fire demon could like take up residence inside him. And this fire demon is a hungry boy and he wants to eat up all the cold stuff he can get. What? And this rules. Irina I'm sorry. Is, <laughs> Irina is like one sixteenth steric, I think, like from like way, way back. And so the fire demon told the czar, like the czar wasn't really interested in the steric silver. Like that didn't even work on him. But Irina is like fractionally steric. And so the fire demon's like, yeah, you look tasty. Like literally eat her? Yeah, he wants to like eat her up. Oh no, fairy tales. <laughs> and and Irina, like she is with this steric silver, like when she's standing in front of something that has that shows a reflection so like a mirror or a pool of water or something she can cross over into the steric kingdom huh. and so she is like hmm well how can i use this like she uses it to hide from her husband slash fire demon the first couple nights of their marriage and then she like meets miriam in the steric kingdom and they start trying to kind of working out a way where they can both get out of their respective situations where like Miriam wants to trick the steric king into taking her back to the real world. Cause the thing that happens when Miriam like leaves the real world is that it is almost like she never existed. Like people have a very, oh. very even her mother and father have a very, very hard time like remembering her name or that she's gone. That sucks. Yeah. So that's very fairy tale. Um, but, but, 
Miriam thinks she can trick the Steric King into going over into the real world. And Irina's like, well, maybe we can make this fire demon and the Steric King fight and kill each other and solve both our problems. And it's also it's also become clear that the Steric are artificially lengthening winter in a way that is eventually going to make the kingdom starve. Oh, like it's June and it's snowing out. Is it a thing that they are doing to a specific end or by just being steric and being more powerful or whatever that it is having the effect of lengthening winter? It's a, it's a thing where the steric have always been of winter and they always come out in winter and and collect gold in winter, but they've never stopped the spring from coming until now. And it's not clear why they are doing this. Okay. But it is clear that they are doing it, and so how can we? How can stop we stop it? it? Okay, okay. So Mir- he he and Miriam come to agree- an agreement, and she said one of her questions one of the nights is like, "What could I do to get you to take me back to the real world for like my cousin's wedding or something? Because I want to dance at it." And he says, "Well, if you uh, if you change every." Everything within my three storerooms, you change all the silver into gold in three days, then sure, I'll take you fine. And Miriam is like, okay. And he's like, wait, this is, you didn't, you weren't going to like bargain with me? Okay, sucker. And the three rooms are so impossibly huge that she could never, ever, ever possibly do it. Um, but she comes to, so she's she's got a couple of steric like, servants who are who are helping her out and she says okay you guys i'm gonna change all the stuff in the two smaller storerooms into gold you with your super strength and because you're you know you're you serve me because i'm the queen (laughs) you are gonna take all the silver in this big room and take it out of the storeroom because there there's the loophole in the language oh yeah change all the silver that's in the rooms Yep, words have gold. meanings. So, so what we can do is we make there be less silver in the rooms, yeah. and that's how I can get through it. I love when fairy tales boil down to contractual obligations. I do, yeah. <laughs> I love loopholes. Like just none of the none of the fairy tale creatures have good lawyers. Yep. I think is the deal. Most the the number of fairy tales that end with just someone yelling, "We had an agreement," as their life has been ruined. <laughs> okay, that's a good trick, though. So she does, and and in this in a similar way to how the how the original magic works, like she she said she could turn something into silver, and even though she can't literally do it, the fact that she does it like makes her able to do it. Yeah, like what's the difference? If that makes sure. sense, like mm-hmm. she's kind of creating magic, and and Wanda, the um, you know the the I think the poorest of the three main characters who you spend a lot of time with for her stuff like writing and like math is a kind of magic. So, so yeah, the the way that the book takes, you know, things that would seem like magic to somebody without an infant without enough information and like things that actually are magic and kind of conflates them is interesting. Yeah. Cause like similar to how a lot of sleight of hand stuff works. Like Mm -hmm. if you have the information, it's not magic. If you, like if you know how it works, it's just clever. If you yeah. don't know how it works, then like yeah, that dude just like ate your shoe and gave it back to you. Like you don't know how <laughs> he did it, and that's not the point. 
Huh. Yeah, Mir- Miriam keeps doing things, like taking things that should be on their face impossible and then making them possible. So in this case, she's been assigned an impossible task and through a combination of hard work and wordplay has made it <laughs> possible. And that in turn like creates enough magic that that Steric King can like use magic to hold up his end of the bargain. So he's like, yeah, even though... You know, you had three days because that's how long it was to your cousin's wedding. But this thing that you've done is so big and so momentous that now you can have as much time as you need to get ready. And she like gets a little mad about it. Like, oh, you made me rush to like meet this deadline. And now I can just like go and take a bath and chill for a minute. Aww. He's like, yeah, I don't know, man. Magic. <laughs> that's how magic works. He sounds infuriating. <laughs> he is a little bit. <laughs> so. Everything that I've said up till now is spoilery, but it is, it's not like you still derive, spoils yeah. the end of the book. Sure. sure. So if you want to read this book, and I would recommend that you do read it because it's rad, um, especially because it's relatively new. And I, I, I bet there are people who have it on their lists who want to get to it, who just haven't yeah, gotten was, there yet. Like I won't, I won't give people a minute to dip now if they want to read the book. Sure. It was I want to talk about the end of it, but I don't want to ruin it for folks. I was surprised how many people, like listeners, reached out and saying like how excited they were for us to talk about it. And it was kind of fifty fifty folks who were like, Oh, that book's great, I love it and people who were like, Well, I guess I should finally read it now, huh? Like I just have a <laughs> copy I've been sitting on. So yeah, take this moment to dip, go read the whole book and then come back. We never yeah. left. Yeah, so the end of the book has a couple good face turns. Ooh. Which for those of you who don't know wrestling, that's when a bad person is is revealed or becomes a good person. Yes. Um So the uh the Czar who's got the fire demon in his belly, we've never really liked him mm. for most of the book, but we get a couple POV chapters from him and Irina spends time around him and it be- he becomes more of a tragic figure because you know he's got he's being manipulated he's, by a thing in his in he's his being abdomen manipulated and it's not a thing that he ever signed up for so yeah, yeah he is kind of a like kylo ren <laughs> like temper like, <laughs> like he's got a temper and he's been known to like smash up a room and whatever like he's not he doesn't seem like a great dude but there's but a little bit of like he's also of the sympathetic going on yeah. yeah yeah a little bit a little bit a little bit okay um and so what what ends up being the case is that, oh, you know, the fire demon was kind of the big bad all along. Sure. And the Steric are trying to lengthen winter, but they're only doing it because their kingdom is sort of cracking apart mm. slowly and like, and like melting as this fire demon tries to tries to increase his power and his his influence. So. You know, they they have made this deal where this fire demon is going to kill the Steric King and then maybe they'll kill the Tsar and then they'll be done with it. Like the the fire demon is sort of treated as the lesser evil who can get them what they want. Sure, sure. But it turns out that, yeah, no. Uh Uh-oh. Like the the fire demon, like the Steric are, you know, proud and... They don't like owing anybody anything, but they are like bound by their word where this fire demon is just like, yeah, I'm going to use you until you're not useful to me anymore. And then I'm going to cast you aside. So 
you know, the the Steric King is like, oh yeah, we, we you you make this pact with this fire demon, but then and then you'll have you know some nice years for a little bit, but then once he is done like snacking on me and all my people, what do you think he's gonna do? Like he's gonna turn your whole stuff into a desert because that's just like that's just who he is like he's not going to be endlessly sated because you made a deal once like he's going to keep keep wanting to consume stuff because it's fire and that's what fire does i was gonna say like that just sounds like fire (laughs) yeah fire doesn't have use for sticks after it eats them yeah so uh yeah the steric was the he the king was just trying to keep his kingdom together Huh. He was trying to keep it from melting by like containing the influence of this fire demon. And the human world was just kind of collateral damage. So he and like he is the Steric King is captured, but he, Miriam goes down to like free him. They come to this agreement where, you know, if I help you beat this fire demon, then you've got to just let the seasons happen like they normally do. And you've got to, you know, not kill people who like trespass on your lands and just like things got to get. Things gotta get better. Yeah, you gotta be cool. <laughs> like, sure. please be cool. All right. Well, that seems like a good deal. Yeah, and then uh, and then they do it, and that's fun. And it's done. Cool. Okay. And then they do it. And then they do. And it. there's there's other stuff in there with like you you get chapters from Wanda's little brother Stepan that are very like heartbreaking and sweet. Yeah. What's that? There. What's Wanda's like arc about? You've kind of alluded to it, but she's taken a bit of a back seat. She she has yeah because she's not as like a big a factor but there is um there's this cabin in the woods that sort of is in the real world but is also in the steric kingdom like it it kind of exists in both places and so like Wanda and her um her brother like their the older brother um Sergey I believe is his name um, they are they are hiding out in it after like th- there's this big confrontation in their cottage where her dad tries to marry her off to somebody and she is like no I don't like I don't want I don't to wanna. yep and he goes wild and starts like beating on her Oof. and then Stepan is like no you can't do that and then Sergey's like no you can't do that because Wanda has like even though she originally like felt no great affection for her brothers. Like she has been, she's been providing for them and kind of helping them. And they all like band together against the dad and, and get closer that way. Um, their, their arc is very, it's very human and very sweet and nice. It um, seems like the least supernatural of, of the arcs. Yeah. Like there is, there's definitely like they're hanging out in this cabin and like, <laughs> Irina's like nurse is hanging out in the steric kingdom version and Wanda is hiding out in like the real world version and they keep like accidentally doing nice things for each other <laughs> because things that happen in one world are kind of mirrored in, yeah, the, in sure. the other. It's one of those deals. Um like Legend of Zelda Link to the Past kind of yes, uh-huh. kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Um but no so one's there, like marrying that, a troll or anything. Mm-hmm. No one's like marrying a troll or like casting spells or or anything like that in this plot line. Not in, not in that plot line. No. Okay. Okay. Um, but it's it's a it's a story of like found family and hmm. and doing things. Um, I'll just read a little bit of of Wanda's thing. I don't know what I'm saying. So this is this is after a big like confrontation where 
the they evolve you know they bound the steric king and even though you know the, they were all getting beat up by him they managed to like vanquish him this is this is before it becomes clear that he is the lesser of the monsters who sure. everybody is trying to deal with <laughs> but um uh but i was strong too i was strong enough to make panova mandelstam and that's uh miriam's mom well and i was strong enough to learn magic miriam's magic and that's talking about math not like magic magic <laughs> Okay. And use it to turn three aprons into six kopecks. Those are coins. I was strong enough with Sergei and Stepan to stop my father selling me or killing me. And last night, I did not know if I was strong enough to stop the steric, even with a silver chain, even with Sergei and Stepan, even with Miriam's mother and father. But I had not known that I was strong enough to do any of those things until they were over and I had done them. I had to do the work first, not knowing. So that's kind of her whole thing is like doing the work not knowing whether she's going to succeed but then succeeding because she is you know she is resourceful and smart and like good-hearted and yeah well and she is the the plot line where it seems like uh novik gets to explore that idea of non-magic magic more often yeah yeah mm-hmm. cool well since we we talked about this being on folks lists from this year and being a pretty like popular recent book like what what do you think to kind of sum up our conversation today Andrew like what do you think is behind that like why why is this book standing out to folks like what really sets it apart or is just like speaking to stuff that you're like oh yeah that's that's pretty dang cool I think it is there was a um I think it was an NPR review yeah it was an NPR piece um, where it says that s- silver spins gold from the moldiest of old straw is the <laughs> is the headline of it, and yeah, there there's something about the way where she takes all of these like pretty well worn storytelling tropes and like fairy tale tropes. Like I think for every every time we've mentioned something fairy taleish or magic that happens, like we can point to like one or two other specific like works of fiction where that thing has already happened. Like yeah. whether it's the link to the past thing or the Rumpelstiltskin thing, like sure. it, it goes all over the place, but yeah, she, she's managed to, to make something that feels new and, and interesting from, from tales that most of us have been like familiar with our, our entire lives. Um, she is melded together like real Jewish identity and like, the history of anti-Semitism and like fantasy ice monsters (laughs) (laughs) together into a story that like hangs together and is satisfying and has a lot of different, like it is, it's got action and it's got a little bit of romance and it's got like family stuff. And it's, it's just got a lot of, it covers a lot of ground and it does it very like confidently and very well. Um, I think that's most of it. And then, and then, you know, just the, the characters are compelling. Like it is, it's a really fun read. I, I like. I thought this book was. I dug this book a lot. It was good. Can I just read a quote about Miriam from Novik and just get your response to it? Because I want. I don't know. Can you? Well, I'm going to. And you just. Oh, jeez. Peel back the curtain. Um, <laughs> Word. Words have meaning. Ah. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> this is uh, Novik talking about Miriam. I liked the flavor of her anger. Young women aren't allowed to be selfishly angry. They're sometimes allowed to be angry in a sort of righteous way for other people, but they are often discouraged from being like, this is unfair to me. I'm mad for me, and I want these things for me. I think it's really important for women to fight against the idea that they're not allowed to want things for themselves. Uh, does that like, how does that resonate with 
your read on Miriam as uh, as a woman who is not afraid to like go and get what she wants. I mean, that's that's definitely definitely comes up. Like um, that part of the old story turned out to be true. You have to be cruel to be a good moneylender, but I was ready to be as merciless with our neighbors as they had been with my father. I didn't take firstborn children exactly, but one week late in the spring, when the roads were finally clear again, I walked out to one of the peasant farmers in the far fields, and he had nothing to pay me with, not even a spare loaf of bread. Gorik had borrowed six silver kopecks, a sum he'd never repay if if he made a crop every year for the rest of his life. I didn't believe he'd ever had more than five pennies in his hand at once. He tried to curse me out of the house at first, casually, as many of them did, but when I held my ground and told him the law would come for him, real desperation came into his voice. I have four mouths to feed, he said. You can't suck blood from a stone. I should have felt sorry for him, I suppose. My father would have and my mother, but wrapped in my coldness, I only felt the danger of the moment. If I forgave him, took his excuses, next week everyone would have an excuse. I saw everything unraveling again from there. So it's... Miriam gets to feel things and do things that I think, like, if you describe them individually or, like, absent any context, yeah. would seem cold yeah, sure, or sure. selfish. But she never at any point like lost my sympathy as a as a reader. Yeah, because and it's yeah, and and it's because of both where she comes from, and then once she does have some power and some influence, like what she does with it, hmm. that that helps keep you in in her corner. And yeah, she is she is allowed to be upset about the things that her neighbors have done to her family, and she is allowed to be upset that this steric king kind of came and conscripted her into marriage and like gold making. <laughs> and she's allowed to, you know, eventually like, I don't know, interrogate all those feelings and then, and then do what she wants in the end. Like, I'm not going to ruin the end end. Sure. But she is the thing. The book like shows us what the, the end of that road is. It doesn't cut her off from. Yeah. And she gets, she path. eventually gets to do, what she wants she's sort of embroiled in all of this because of things that she didn't exactly choose to do but then she's she gets to have agency and gets to you know make her make her choice in the end ultimately i think um but yeah that's that's does that answer yeah, the no, question that does. does that yeah. yeah i just wanted to kind of dig a little deeper into into miriam um yeah well, folks uh, who had this book on their reading list or are just now hearing about it and think it sounds cool, if you have questions for us or for Andrew and his experience with the book, please send them in to overduepod at gmail.com or hit us up online at twitter.com slash overduepod or facebook.com slash overduepod. A lot of folks reaching out in the last week, especially as those like Spotify things were happening. Um, telling everyone how yeah, much time like, they spent this, with our show. <laughs> this is the first year that that Spotify like year end thing has included podcasts. I yeah. think, and so we came up on a lot of people's lists, which and is that was very really heartwarming. Cool. So thanks yeah. to everyone, including Daisy, Emily, Jacob, Krista, Hannah, Kay, Mora, Jason, Kylie, Paris, Valerie, Vanessa, Jay, Ruth, Shelby, Daniel, Max, Adam, Stephanie, Jake, Gabriella, and many more for letting us know that you were listening to us. Uh, Andrew, if folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com. That's an internet website which has links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, RSS, um, those social feeds that Craig mentioned, a new listener page that has uh, episodes that you can recommend to people who you're trying to get into the show who that, that we think people will like, um, and a link to our Patreon project, which is a way you can support us financially, help pay for books and hosting and 
um, live shows and all kinds of other like equipment upgrades and, and lots of other stuff that we we do to make the show better. Um, up there also we have links to the books that we have read and are going to read for the rest of the month. So Craig, do you want to just walk them through the next couple of weeks? Yeah, in case you don't know, next week we're you're going to hear our live show from the New England and Library, uh, New England and Rhode Island Library Association's uh, conference. We covered the Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. Uh, and then after that, we are going to be talking about A Dangerously Sexy Christmas by <laughs> Stephanie London. I think the schedule on the it's site incorrect. Is I'm not looking at it right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then on the 31st, we're going to be doing A Pale Fire by Vladimir Nobokov with, um, with uh, Sophie Brookover from yeah. the Two Bossy Dames. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, so check those out and let us know what you think about those books. Uh, in advance if you want us to talk about something in particular. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Until then, try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.